Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Rachel Maidment, Executive Director of the Council. For part two of our podcast with Anna Mowbray, we discuss COVID-19 and kicked things off by discussing what happened when COVID hit. It's been quite a long journey, hasn't it, now since the start of COVID, and I feel like I've been at the centre of that journey in each move of it. So obviously I was over in China when COVID first hit, and we started hearing murmurs about it right before I came back to New Zealand for the lockdown for Chinese New Year and got back to New Zealand for Chinese New Year and we went into a full-blown lockdown over in China. So trying to manoeuvre my team when I'm back here over in China and really understanding what was going on was an interesting process and I was just in awe of how, how well our team moved, how quickly they moved and how effective they were in ensuring that we had a safe environment for our team. You know, very, very proactive in terms of setting up temperature checks, um, mask wearing, constant monitoring of the health processes. I mean, we had an app up and running by the end of Chinese New Year to make sure we're monitoring all of our staff. Constant review of how people were feeling, of what connections they've had, of contact tracing. Just all of those processes that went in were so effective and done so efficiently, um, ensuring that we didn't have the movement of people from densely COVID-affected areas into ones that were not so effective. You know, the government really put down a line in the sand and controlled that incredibly well. Obviously, I was back in New Zealand and seeing this trend and this need to have more of a lockdown, and that wasn't necessarily happening here with the urgency that I thought it should be. So that was something that that I personally put a lot of pressure on to onto the government and and within New Zealand to ensure that we could react a lot faster. But then, you know, supply chain got hugely impacted. We were uh, 10 days later coming out of Chinese New Year, but I was so proud of my team. Um, They were some of the first facilities to be opening up in China. We opened up on the 10th of February, which was phenomenal for two of our factories. Um, The rest of them were opened within five days. Those were our exclusive partnership factories. And then Within a couple of days of us being fully opening open, I had a task force team out at every single one of our supplier factories, making sure that they could implement policy to allow them to open as well, you know, and doing that into our raw material factories as well. So we really set up task force teams, force teams very quickly to make sure that our supply chain wasn't being as highly impacted as a lot of other people's were. And then obviously you have the flow and effect as well with our product development being hugely slowed down. The mould shops, the tool shops were some of the last places to really open back up because there wasn't, see, there wasn't such an immediate need seen necessarily for that tooling which was being designed and developed for products production in eight months time. So the tool shops were a real focus for us after we got our immediate supply chain up and running to ensure that our product development wasn't being too severely impacted as well because you know retailers have very stringent timelines and set dates in place that if you don't hit them, you miss out on that season's placement or you have to wait for the next set date to come up. So at that point in time as well, we didn't know how retailers were going to shift. You know, were they going to expect air freight? Would they push out their set dates? How were they going to react to the situation too? So there's been a real flow on effect and it was just about fixing one problem, jumping to the next and then trying to proactively forecast where that next constraint was going to be. So clearly supply chain is going to be a huge focus for you going forward. And even before COVID, 
there are issues around US-China trade. Had that impacted on where you were looking to manufacture and were you looking to diversify your manufacturing prior to COVID? And now, because of COVID, has that added impetus? Oh, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? Especially, you know, having such a huge footprint in China and the political situation definitely accelerated our desire to look outside of necessarily just China store, uh, shores. We had one of our big new launches, a product called Bunch of Balloons Party, which is Bunch of Balloons Water is a very iconic product now. Um, you can fill and tie water balloons incredibly quickly. We developed a new iteration of that, which filled and tied air balloons. Um, we had that product launching and suddenly we had tariffs on, on the pumps for that item. It was already a very margin sensitive item and that really impacted our launch to market there. And, you know, at the same time, there was discussion around whether toys were going to be covered under toy tariffs as well, which was pretty scary for our entire business. And we just didn't know which way the US was going to go and how it was going to oscillate. So there was certainly a time of uncertainty for us there in the mix. And we thankfully have people on the ground in Vietnam and it's been an area that we've been exploring a little bit over the last 24 months. So yeah, we've we've been dabbling in that space. Um, I still think that the competitive advantages of China far surpass those of us relocating at this point in time for our business. And I think that the payback on a complete relocation into somewhere like Vietnam is not there just yet in the toy space because so much of it is driven by manufacturing know-how, the understanding of the processes and the protocols and how to optimize and get efficiency and drive scale is so well entrenched in China. We definitely need to uplift a huge portion of our team and relocate it into one of these territories to really very quickly learn and grow and develop the same power that we have back in China. And I think it goes back to you know, the core foundational piece that's made us a success in China is time on the ground. And if we go and we uproot and we relocate to somewhere like Vietnam or India or um, one of these locations, there's a lot that has to go into understanding the territory and making sure that we can really succeed there in the same fashion and way that we have in China. So contract manufacturing is an option for us at the moment and we're looking into the options of setting up a owned factory in Vietnam. Yeah, that's interesting and that's something that manufacturers have said to us a lot in the past uh, is that it's fine to set up in Vietnam but you need the whole ecosystem around you. So you might need the zips or the fabrics or you know everything else that goes into that, exactly. that toy and you can't move as quickly if you don't have the supply chain. I mean it's, it's ICs, it's motors, it's all of those small incremental plus, it's enough injection moulders, it's the infrastructure, it's the ports. It's making sure there's enough containers coming into Vietnam to export. It's, everything is compounding on that. So there's a lot of elements to have to analyse there. And so for us, it's going to be piecemeal, just slow incremental change. One other thing that I remember you saying when COVID hit was that there were some advantages, obviously, and we had a China Council meeting and a lot of people around the table said that their China teams were really resilient uh, and that they acted as a sort of an example for the, the rest of their team. And you also said that there was a knock-on benefit of communicating direct to your team. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I remember that conversation. Um, I mean, the resilience in our team has just been phenomenal. The, the positivity that came out of everybody and the desire to get back into the office and keep working, keep driving forward, 
in a time of such turbulence. I mean, you know, we've got a very heavily driven female workforce actually over in China and trying to manage across families and young children and working and and then the challenge of everything being re- remote and done via Zoom conferences, etc. was was high. Um, and I know that was across the board for everyone. But one of the definite benefits of it was the ability to connect into a lot bigger and broader team and make a direct impact. So I do, I remember that conversation just in the sense that that was one of the positives is that I could jump on a call with 600 people and be talking almost directly to that individual rather than me talking into a level of management, right, into the director level who then passed that message on. So there was definitely a feeling of almost being more connected into the team because you were able to touch upon more conversations in one hit than you would necessarily in an everyday office environment. So I remember one call, I think we had 10 different offices all on and on the one call, and it was such a neat way of being able to connect with people that I probably wouldn't have if I'd been over in China because the only way I would have had that connection is going to go and visit them on site. So there's, there were definitely positives that have come out of this whole shakeup. So what did you do uh, post-COVID and how did that actually happen and how did you work with your team? Obviously when everything um, started to filter into the rest of the world, I kind of sat back and said, what can we do to make a difference here or where are the needs going to be? And because I didn't necessarily feel that New Zealand was moving aggressively and quickly in the right direction, I decided to really pull together a COVID response team, basically internally, to help source supply of PPE for New Zealand, um, knowing that supply chains were rapidly tightening in China, seeing what was happening to non-woven, understanding how much pressure was coming on to the, the PPE supply of masks, of gloves, of gowns, etc., etc. So yeah, I assembled 20 people within our team and very quickly started sourcing product um, manufacturing facilities, understanding what the requirements were around great, high quality, high grade PPE that could be sufficient for use in New Zealand and very quickly became a bit of a conduit between the private sector and the government, ensuring that we could have adequate supply here to protect our frontline staff, our medical workers, etc. And to date, I think I've brought in nearly 90 million pieces of PPE. You know, I think literally we're probably one of the only people in New Zealand that could have done what we've done because of this amazing team that we have back in China who are able to very quickly pivot and understand where um, the goals are and the priorities and the focuses need to be and how to move with extreme speed and pace. So during that first lockdown, my entire lockdown, I don't think I've worked that hard in a very, very long time, but I was on the phone to all hours of the day working with our team over in China trying to understand all the intricate details of how product was made, how production happened, um, what we were looking for, how to get effective supply, how to make sure that we were monitoring our quality, how to make sure that we had all of the steps in place and critical control points monitored to ensure that we were able to bring in the best quality and grade materials, but also to get to the punch before the rest of the world. I mean, we were competing with the USA, with the UK, with Canada, with Russia, I mean with everywhere to make sure that we're getting high grade products coming down here to New Zealand and I'm just so proud of what the team was able to achieve and it really showed me how dynamic we are as an organisation to be able to 
execute upon such a huge challenge in a very short period of time. It was unbelievably stressful and full on and a definite learning experience, but something that we can be very, very proud of being able to help and support and assemble resources and and teams to be able to deliver what we did. Mostly factories that were already established making PPE or were you already tapping into factories that were pivoting? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of factories that were pivoting and moving into making PPE. So you had things like diaper factories that were moving into it or wipes factories that were moving into it. Um, For us, however, we wanted to work with those that were big, reputable, had the testing certificates, had the supply chain established. Because at the end of the day, when you're in a crunch, you have to be able to work with partners that have got the raw material vendors already established and have got those protocols in place. So that was very important to us. And the people that had the best relationships in that field were ultimately going to get the supply. So there was a huge crunch on non-woven material. There still is. There was a, it's so interesting where the bottlenecks are, right? I mean, when we were doing sanitizers, there was this massive bottleneck on the pumps. So the constraint in sanitizer production was never the sanitizer or even the bottles. It was the pumps. Sort of like flour in New Zealand. It was the, the issue was with the bags rather than the flour. Exactly, exactly. So it's so interesting where the supply chain issues eventuate. So I wanted to make sure that we we're working with really reputable big factories in the medical space so that I could ensure quality, ensure supply and ensure delivery and you know the hard thing with that is that those are the same factories that every other government wants to work with so we had to build very quickly very strong relationships and a trust and having my team there on the ground out in every single facility having quality control people in every single facility every day during the entire production process meant I didn't get pushed down the train. So Zuru's people were actually carrying out quality control in the factories. Yep, I had two people at every factory. Um, One was on raw materials, so making sure that we were checking exactly where raw materials were coming from, that it was the same facility that our test reports had been received from, and then another one on the production line and working with their DCPs and their planning team to make sure we didn't get pushed down the chain. So it it was an intense time, and I was so fortunate to have a team that is incredibly inept at moving and pivoting into different industries into different subsectors and it's something that we've always done in our business and kind of deviating a little bit here but when fidget spinners went crazy you know we became the biggest suppliers fidget spinners why because we did exactly the same thing I assembled 20 people or I think it was 15 people in our team I sent them out sent them to every single factory that was producing this sort of product and we ensured that we locked down supply and again the the constraint there was ball bearings So we ended up looking at all the facilities within China that were using ball bearings in production and going to them and working out how to get their supply chain. So it was the same same type of situation where we were able to move resources and they could adapt very quickly to the new scenario. And then we put in protocols around those critical control points and made sure that we were following through with the biggest and most reputable partners to ensure we got supply and quality. That's so interesting. I mean, going forward with PPE, are there still bottlenecks or are we able to get everything that we need? There's definitely still bottlenecks. You know, I was just talking to the Ministry of Health last week because I had a conversation with the biggest glove supplier in China right now who told me that they have zero, zero production available until December. Zero. 
and the numbers that they are producing are extreme. And so I, I literally said to the Ministry of Health, if you need any gloves, if you need any more gloves from me, I have to know now because if we don't lock up this production, it's there's no chance of us being able to pivot very, very quickly going forward. Um, and this is off the back of three weeks ago getting an urgent call to source two million gloves and them arriving literally within days of that to meet a need and a demand here in New Zealand. So there is without doubt massive shortages that are ongoing and are not slowing down. Our habits, consumer habits have completely shifted in how we protect against the spread of virus, how we clean, <laughs> how we interact, and it shifted entirely in our own households and it's shifted entirely in the same way when it comes to the frontline medical staff or any staff that are in that frontline space. So the need for PPE has astronomically increased and with that we're still trying to catch up supply. Thanks to Anna for her time and for all her work to help New Zealand secure the all-important PPE. For more podcasts, you can check out our website, nzchinacouncil.org.nz, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.